yesterday, I went hiking with my daughter and my dog. We went to Marshall Canyon, really beautiful. Started off kind of somewhat in the morning, and then we went under the canopy where it was nice, beautiful. And then after a few miles, we're like, okay, it's probably time to turn around. We turned around, and we came out of the canopy, and it was hot. It was so hot. So to make a long story short, I just about killed my dog and my daughter and myself. Like, it was brutally hot. There was a moment where I was a little scared. I'm like, oh my gosh. Have you ever been scared? Have you ever done something stupid? And, and then fear hits you like, like, this is so dumb. Like, maybe I just, I might have just done something bad and I might, I might die in this situation. Has anybody ever done something like that? A few of you? I mean, if you've been around Granite Creek, I've got stories and you've heard them before. So this is not the first time I almost killed myself and my family. But for a moment, I was like, oh man, this is bad. Like the ambulance is going to come and get us. We sucked it up. We got out of there. My poor daughter was dehydrated, uh, heat exhaustion. You know, I had a bit myself. My poor dog was like, it was bad. And well, I almost died there, and then I almost died a second death. We'll talk about that later in the sermon. We almost died a second death when I got home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I almost died a second death. But, you know, these moments in life where you, you come to terms with your moral, mortality, you know, they're important. It's like, man, I... I I could not be here tomorrow. Like, those are important defining moments. If you haven't had one, if you haven't been on a deathbed, if you haven't almost got hit by a truck, like, don't do that. But, I mean, chances are it's going to happen some, sooner or later in your life where you're like, I, 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 yeah, I almost died, where the adrenaline rush hits you. So I think it's actually important to think about life after death. I think it's important to think about your mortality. So, when I die, I'm planning, you know, to live a long life, but, you know, if I don't change my ways, right, <laughs> it could be sooner rather than later. If I don't change my ways, and if I do die, I want you guys to cremate me. Like, just ashes, just burn me in the oven, and then... Dump me off in the ocean, just scatter my ashes in the ocean, and then I could be fish food. I haven't quite made up my mind, because part of me wants to be buried in the mountains under a tree, where I can be worm food. I know. Stop it. Actually, I want to I be put on a Viking ship. I want you guys to set that thing on fire. That's what I want. I know, it, it's, it's, sometimes people get, and I don't know, most likely I'm offending somebody by now, but 
Because we have it in our mind as Christians that we need to be buried in the ground so that our, that our bodies can resurrect from the dead. And I look, this is the topic of the day. It's the resurrection from the dead. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Josh, if you're all ashes, and you are saying this is, that we are in the end times, and Jesus is returning, the day of the Lord's coming to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to resurrect us, how in the world are you going to be resurrected if you are inside of fish or worms and things? How is that going to happen? So some people go to great lengths And may I add, great fortunes to make sure that their loved ones are preserved. It's all a scam, everybody. Sorry. They go to Great Lakes to make sure that they're preserved. So not only are they in that special going home casket that's padded and lined and sealed, so, right, so you don't decompose too fast. But there's all the, it's just gross, all the embalming stuff. I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've done too many funerals and funeral homes and it just creeps me out and I'm grossed out by it. It's the smell. So I want to be cremated. So how in the world am I going to be resurrected from the dead? Because I believe that's going to happen. Well, Somewhere up into the vaults of heaven, there's a filing cabinet that has my DNA in there. And some angel is going to open up that file cabinet, pull out my DNA, put me in some type of a machine, and regenerate my body. That's not how it happens, but that's just like this is like he's got us, he, he knows how he, we are, he knows how we're made. And he's going to make us new. One of the huge misconceptions that even Christians have about life after death is that when we die, our spirit, and this is true, but we need to flesh it out a little bit more. We need to go into the details of what really takes place after life after death. Is, but the misconception is that when we die, our spirit ascends into heaven. We, we, we walk up that staircase to heaven, right? Our spirits do. Like Ghost the movie, you young people don't know what that is, but it's a terrible movie, and I don't recommend that you watch it. Not because there's ghosts in it, it's because it's a lame love story, and you guys don't want to see that. But we... Our, our spirits, yeah, I don't know how it all works, but they do leave our bodies. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? But the way that God has designed us is that we are not to be spirit that's floating around in heavens and playing harps, and we're not, we're not, we're not going to be a ghost for eternity. Like, we've got to get this into our head that there is a hope for your body. So, however God's going to do it, whether he cracks open some 
casket that's got some nasty old body in it and resurrects that thing, which would be fine. Or if he takes my, you know, all my ashes that I've scattered all over the world and he puts it back all together. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to do it. And he's going to make a new physical body because, again, he's got my DNA on file in heaven. And he's going to recreate his, in, his original creation of who you are who I am. So when they begin to rebuild my body, I'm going to look like Josh, and you're going to look like you. You're going to have all your features. You're going to have your characteristics. You're going to have your soul. Your soul is your, your personality, your character, your drive. You're not going to become one with the universe. You're going to be you. You're not going to just dissipate into oblivion and become one with nature. No, you are going to be you for eternity. So you're going to look like you do. You're going to have your, your characteristics and your personalities. But you know what won't be there? What won't be there is going to be original sin. Meaning that, well, cancer will no longer exist in your, in your DNA. Mental illness will no longer exist in your DNA. Any other disease or ailment will no longer exist. You will be the absolute perfect version of you. I will be 6'7", <laughs> without back hair, and without the, you know... I can eat donuts for eternity and not get fat. So, but you will be the perfect version of you. Now, the resurrection of the dead is actually key and vital to Christian theology. It is, I kind of take it for granted because, again, I've had, I've had multiple, multiple near-death experiences and so I'm like, okay to go. I mean, I don't want to go, but like, I know that if I go, I'm going to be okay. I, I, have, I have the hope of glory. And I know from the reading of Scripture that uh, when I am made new, that my body will be a, what we call a glorified body. A glorified body. Right now we have a body, but it's, it's, we have... An, natural sin inside of us. We're going to be made into a glorified body. So I want to talk to you today about the resurrection of the dead, both the resurrection, most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then your resurrections in light of Revelation. Because in Revelation, everything changes. And we very well could be, well, I mean, it depends on how you interpret it, like, this could be the end times. You could easily say that it is the end times. But we could be hearing the hoof falls of the four horsemen right now. Like, that, that, everything, all the craziness that's going on in our world could be those hoof falls. Now, if you have been brave like me, and if you've read through Revelation recently, it, it's a tough book to get through. But if you remember the beginning of the book, it's the book that comes with the blessing, yeah? It's the only book that comes with the blessing. So, like, get through it. 
Like, get, get through the book. You know, when the images come, when, when all of the dark stuff happens, just keep on pressing through. Don't put the book down. Keep on reading it. You're like, Pastor Josh, I have no idea what's going on. It makes no sense. I cannot connect the dots. It's okay. Right now, you don't need to connect the dots. You need to get to the end. Revelation comes off, well, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a vision. It, it's a revelation of what God is doing and what God is going to do. He gives it to John. It is a vivid dream, and John is taken up into the, into the Spirit to see what is going to take place. Some of his revelation is pulled from Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel. So it's pulled from some Old Testament sources. But there's some fresh stuff in there that it's just, well, it's vivid. And it, it's bizarre. And it's kind of cool. So don't give up on the book if you get a little scared when you're reading it. The type of genre of revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature. Meaning that in revelation, there is symbolism. But also in revelation, there are things that are literal. It takes a Bible scholar to figure out, well, I don't, maybe we should know. We'll just leave the Bible scholars alone today. But it, it takes discernment, and it takes a really hard leaning into the book. It takes the mind of Christ to understand what is being said when you read Revelation, because some of it is symbolic, some of it is literal. So, what's a symbolic thing? I'm not quite sure. Like, if it happened, I'd be like, okay, my bad. But I'm not quite sure if, like, a seven-headed kaiju is going to come out of the ocean. Like, that could possibly be symbolic. But when the third horn is blown by the angel and the star wormwood falls to the earth and dries up all the water and, and, and kills a lot of people, when that happens, that's not, in my opinion, that is not symbolic. That is most likely literal. We know. We know that an asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs. I was going to give you statistics, but I didn't want to scare your pants off too much. But asteroids miss our planet all the time, and they don't tell us about it. I mean, there's, some, there's been some big ones, too. And, again, I don't want to scare you too much, but look, it, everybody knows. Every scientist knows. It's a matter of time before another planet killer hits us. It's a matter of time. It's not if it's going to happen. It is when it's going to happen. Wormwood, an asteroid is going to fall from the sky and it's going to hit our planet. It will happen. That's why Elon Musk is trying to get us to Mars right now. He understands that the rats need to flee the ship. So it's a, it's a mixed bag of all of these things that, are, that, that need to be interpreted either symbolically or literally. Like you need to pay attention to it. Um, uh, there's probably even some misinterpretations of the scriptures. It's, it's, it's hard stuff to, weed, to, to, to 
you know, to go through. And yet, if it is read with, this, with certain lenses, well, the book is not scary. The book will give you hope. So here's the lens. The lens to reading actually any part of Scripture. The lens is the lens of love and the lens of Jesus' humanity. I talked about this last time. What's the shortest book? In, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept from John 11. Somebody looked that up. John 11. Did I get it right? Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And so if we read Scripture through that penhole that Jesus weeps for his children, then it makes all the difference in the world when we read about all those horrible things. Like Jesus is weeping. He's weeping for us and with us when things get tough. Like, do you know that? Okay, forget about the end of the world, but when it feels like your world is ending, it feels like you have your own personal apocalypse do you know that Jesus is weeping with you? I, I know it might not feel like he's not there. I don't feel his presence. I can't sense him. I can't hear God's word. You know what? That's okay because I guarantee you he is there. He is with you in your pain and he's weeping for you. The second shortest verse in the Bible is 1 John 7. And that is God is love. So that's the other lens. So one lens is Jesus wept. The other is God is love. And if you read Revelation with those, with those glasses on, then it's going, again, it's going to give you a hope for your future. It's, it, it, and it will give you a hope for eternity as well. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul had an incredible insight into the theology of, of, of resurrection. He was dealing with doubters, just like we do today. He was dealing with doubters because even in the ancient times where there was, not, there, there was no secular humanism, there was no such thing as an atheist, he was dealing with people that did not believe in the resurrection. The re either the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrection of the dead. He was dealing with people, with, he was dealing with religious people that didn't believe in life after death. They were called the Sadducees. So one of the problems about reading the scriptures too literally is that you can uh, work yourself into a false doctrine. The resurrection of the body is all over the scriptures, but it doesn't say it in black and white in the Torah. It just alludes to it. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the Sadducee says, well, it's not in the law, so therefore it does not exist. So the Sadducees did not believe in life after death or the resurrection of the body. That's a weird thought to think about, right? 
But see, nothing is new under the sun. So Jesus, and ironically the Pharisees, are battling these religious intellectual elites that reason themselves out of life after death. And we do the same thing today. And so what Paul is saying, no, no, you've got to understand, if there is no resurrection of the body, then we're all a bunch of fools. Now, brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 13. I got the whole chapter. There's no way I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I want to. I want to read the whole chapter, but I also want to keep you guys awake. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. Okay, listen. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached, otherwise you have believed in vain. Verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. All right. Do you, do you guys realize that there's Christians that don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead? Like they don't believe in miracles? They don't believe in the ascension? Like there's Christians that they just, it's all a social construct for them. Even in our own personal lives, we have to hold on tight to the gospel message that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins and that he was raised on the third day. He was raised from the dead and then finally he ascended off the planet. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then, then your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. That's a scary thought. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they too are lost. If only this life, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, for we are all people to be most pitied. But Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Everybody, who is that man? Thank you. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all will be made alive. But to, 
Each in turn, Christ is the first fruits. Then he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Fascinating thing about this part right here is Paul, he hasn't read Revelation yet. You know how I know that? Because it hasn't been written yet. For he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. Amen? Amen? For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. I'm talking about authority, spiritual authority. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God will be, so that God may be all in all. Now, there is no resurrection that will be those who are baptized for the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? You might be asking yourself this too. Why should I be putting my neck on the line right now being a Christian? It's not going to pay my mortgage. Why should I publicly declare my faith when my neighbors are going to make fun of me. If I face death, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ, Jesus our Lord. If I found wild beasts in Ephesus who will who with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? And then, this is kind of funny, he actually quotes a Greek philosopher. You might have thought this was scripture, but it's some Greek guy. Let us eat, drink, and be married, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> Do not be missed. This is also a Greek quote. This is not... So this is scripture ripping off some philosopher. It's okay, right? Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Yeah? Bad company corrupts good character. Who are you hanging out with? Who are your friends? Who, who are saying things in your ear that, well, it's just, it's not life. It's death. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. All right. And he goes on and on talking about the importance of the resurrected body. Why is that so important for us? Well, obviously, if you want to live forever, that's kind of an important deal. But it's also important to God because, again, he has made us in his image. 
Yes, we have been made and we have been tainted, but his original intention is that we are made in the image of God. That's a beautiful thing. When you think about this great blue marble floating in space, it is gorgeous. But if you get the microscope in on humanity, you're like, oh my gosh, we are a hot mess. Did you know that the way that you are right now, you're not complete, but God has got a plan to make you complete, yeah? Did you also know that the way that the world is, is a lot like you? You're a hot mess, you've got illness, you've got things, you, you age, you're broken, right? We all can admit to that. But the world is just like us. It's diseased, it's broken, it's infected with sin and jealousy and rage. The worst parts about who you are, our world is manifesting that at a constant pace. But not only does God want to resurrect your body and make you perfect, he also wants to resurrect the whole planet and make it perfect. He's going to, he's going to redeem you, but he's also going to redeem all of creation. Isn't that, okay, let's just get our, our, our attention off of ourselves for a moment. He's going to redeem all of creation. Like, I don't know about you guys, but right now in my mind, I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, the world is a train wreck. I don't want anything to do with her. But God does. God is like, oh my gosh, my creation is a train wreck, but I have a plan. I have a purpose. I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to work that plan. I have hope for the planet. Like, have you ever thought, like, I don't really have hope for humanity? Have you ever thought that thought? God has hope for humanity. And that, my friends, is what Revelation is about. It is not about hellfire and brimstone and throwing you into the lake of fire. That does happen, by the way. But it's about purifying, purging, transforming his great creation. All right, Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw, this is the very end of Revelation. I've kind of skipped all the scary stuff. Now we're getting to the good stuff. We're reading the back of the book. Amen? Yeah, this is read the back of the book. That might help you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and they will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. What did Paul say? Because even death will be defeated. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Thank you, Jesus. I got like this crick in my neck. It's driving me crazy. I go to therapy all the time. I hate that. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these are the words that are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, not the construction company, the Lord. Inside joke. Sorry, everybody. He said to me, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, the idolaters, and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven of the last plagues, came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me in the Spirit to a mountain, a great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal it had a high it had a great high wall with 12 gates with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel there were three gates on the east and three on the north three on the south and three on the west the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates. The city was laid out in a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with its rod and found it to be uh, 12,000 stadia, which is 15,000 miles in length, and in width, and in height, and it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements, and it was 14, uh, 144 cubits thick. The walls were made of jasper in the city of pure gold and pure glass. 
The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. Okay, you get the idea. So for the sake of time, let me wrap it up. Like, what is going on? We have a new, God is making everything new. He's making a new earth, making a new heaven. And out of the presence of God descends the new Jerusalem. And it's ginormous. So, you might be asking the question from earlier, is it symbolic or is it literal? I'm not sure. It's real. It's real. It could be symbolic, but you know what's bizarre? It can also be literal. Like, it works mathematically. All right, let me just show you a couple of pictures. The art of revelation. Picture. All right, there's Jesus coming back. This is cheesy revelation artwork. Yeah, there's the horn being blown. Things are going to change. Earth is being made new. This is a uh, 13th century tapestry of the New Jerusalem. There's John the Revelator. And here is God giving him his vision. And this is his interpretation of the New Jerusalem. which looks like a medieval castle. It's kind of cool. So one human's interpretation, doing the best they can with the, with the Scripture. Let's go to the next one. This is the Wizard of Oz. Next one. That is probably more accurate. 15,000 miles by 15,000 miles. That's the size of it. Okay, how did the ancients do this? Do you know what's really bizarre? It's the same size as the moon. Like you could literally put, I, I forget which way it goes. I think the moon will fit perfectly inside of that or the square will fit perfectly inside of the moon. I think it's the other way around. Isn't that bizarre? What are the chances that they got, it, they got the dimensions that close to the moon? Right. Mathematically, it works out that every believer can have a little condo inside of that cube. Kind of like being, you know, part of the Borg collective from Star Trek. We're, we're all going to plug in there and, and fit just fine. All right, let's go to the next one. 15,000, 1,500 miles, sorry. Do we have more? That's it. All right, go to the main one. Not that one. I don't, I don't like that one. I don't like that one either. The main one. All right. Not that one. The one that's in the bulletin. The only one that looks good. Put that one up. Okay, there we go. That's your bulletin cover. Highly symbolic, but this painting, and it's a modern painting, this artist is alive today, but it tells the story of what we just read. So Jesus the king has prepared for his bride, the girl on the back is the bride, which is you, the church. And then this really bizarre cube-like structure, the New Jerusalem, is pouring forth streams of living water. 
could be quite literal. Again, we could all fit on this thing. We'd all have a good time. There would even be open space for a nice park. The main idea is that God wants to dwell with us. He wants us to be a part of a community, of a part of a holy city where we are all together with him and he is all together with us. We're not stuck there. We're free to move about as we wish. We could still leave the box and roam around the planet, but that's made new too. Back to our mortality. When you die. When you die, I hate to say it, but Led Zeppelin is wrong. There is no stairway to heaven. You don't, you don't go to heaven. That is not the ultimate goal. Your, your ultimate journey is not, okay, Pastor Josh, all I need to know is how do I get to heaven? There was a show that came out just recently, and it's called The Good Place, and all of these losers, they're just obsessed about going to heaven. Like I, like, I just want to make sure I don't go to the bad place. I want to go to the good place. They're completely consumed about making sure that they weasel their way in to heaven, that they get to their destination. The great irony is, is that the devil's playing a trick on them, and what they thought was heaven is actually hell. It's hilarious. God's goal is not to get you to heaven. God's goal is to get to heaven to earth. That is a different way to think about it, isn't it? And he doesn't want to get you to heaven. He wants to get heaven inside of you. Did you know that eternity for your soul does not begin when you die, when you get hit by a Mack truck? That's not when eternity starts for you. Eternity starts for you the day that you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. That's when heaven came to earth for you. Isn't it cool that it happened to like some seven-year-old kid at VBS this week? Heaven came to earth for a kid, at least one that I know of. This should give you hope. Hope that God has a plan to make everything right. Just think about how messy Revelation is is in the middle parts. Think about how messy your life is. If God is willing to fix that mess, how much more willing is he to fix your mess? That That should give you pause. That should give you hope. Hope that you can do anything now, knowing that, that, that it is God's desire and intention, not just to get you to go to heaven. It is his desire and intention to bring heaven to earth. In fact, interpreters kind of got that wrong whenever the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is talked about. Now it's, and again, we see it with the new Jerusalem descending down and becoming a part of his creation. Larry, let me get you to come on up, and I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, 
understanding, understandable. I mean, Paul could have wrote Revelation. Like, he got it. Paul says in 15, Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. What does victory look like for you this week? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Is on to say, where, O oh death, where is your victory? So when you read Revelation and you think about all these monsters and horrible things, say, where, Satan, where is your victory? Death, where is your victory? You know what I love about Christian? Well, I don't like any type of funeral, just so you know. But there is a difference between a Christian funeral and a non-Christian funeral. Meaning that in a Christian funeral, there is no sting. There is pain, it hurts, it's sad. We're mourning with those that mourn, we weep with those that weep. But only in a secular funeral do you really feel that sting of death. Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now pay attention to this. This is your take home for today. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Amen. Don't let anything move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Other translations say, dear brothers, don't lose hope. Stand firm. Everything that you have done for the Lord, from the time that you were serving as a teenager till now, it is not in vain. So do not lose hope. Do not be discouraged. We win in the end. There is victory over, not only over the devil, but there's victory over death itself. So be encouraged. Have hope and stand firm during dark days. Because they're coming. All right, grab your communion elements. That gospel message of the good news of Jesus Christ. The first among men who died, his literal body died and broken for us so that we could have a way, so that we could have a hope. Do you know that you can have hope right now 
for your finances. You can have hope for your relationships. You can have hope for your future if you are in the body of Christ. Stay in the body of Christ. Stand firm. Receive the manna from heaven. Put your faith and trust in him. He'll provide all of your needs. Receive the body of Christ for your provision. Scriptures say that it is by the stripes on Jesus' back that we have been healed or made whole. This is how we know God is very concerned about the resurrection of the body. His body was resurrected. And on his body, like I don't know exactly where Jesus ascended to. Scriptures say that he ascended to heaven. So he, like, he levitated off. Like, like once he left the atmosphere, I'm not quite sure which way he went. Did he go towards the sun? Did he go towards Jupiter? Where in the world did Jesus go? Look, heaven is a lot closer than we think. I don't understand what realm or dimension or any of that stuff don't have time to think about it. I go down too many rabbit holes. But this is what I do know from the Word of God is that His body with the nails on His hands and the scars from the crown of thorns, the wound that poured water out of His side, it's still there. His body has been glorified but it's still there. And because of this covenant, your body too will be glorified because you believe in the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we receive the cup. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you will touch us from the inside. If we are harboring any bitterness, rage, malice, anything that looks like the darkness of this world, we ask that you forgive us of our sins. If we, are, if we have contempt for a brother or sister, God, may this cup pass before us before we drink of it. So we do not want to drink judgment upon ourselves. We want to drink life into our bodies. We want to become a new creation. We want heaven on earth inside of us now. So if you have done business with the Lord, if you have asked him to forgive you of your sins this week, drink to sainthood because now you are becoming a saint. Thank you, Jesus.
Let me send you off with a blessing. One of the interesting things when Pastor Larry leads worship is that uh, we don't have to talk about the set ahead of time. He just already knows what God's going to say through worship. So if you come today with a heavy heart, have hope that God is crying with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. Let me send you off with the blessing.
May the God of peace, God himself, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, soul, mind, and spirit, may they become blameless, getting better each and every day until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has called you. He is faithful. He's never left you. He has never forsaken you. And he will see you through to the very end. That is his promise to you. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. If you want to join us, if you're somewhat new, get to know the church a little bit better, you can hang out with us over here in the Creekside Room. I'd love to get to know you better. God bless you guys. Have a great week.